it's great to be here today and we're talking about this series Brand Jesus and I wasn't in on last week's talk so I thought yesterday I really should listen to that talk to see where we're heading with this thing and uh, last week Troy talked about that word elastic, elastic and he talked about uh, Jesus as being the one who is full of grace and truth and uh, I, I was intrigued by that little story he had about the parking meters in Melbourne that they gave you a five minute grace period and I didn't actually believe it. So I looked up the City of Melbourne website and believe it or not, yes, they do offer a, a, a grace period of five minutes for you to go back and reload the meter. But then when you read the next point under it, it says if you haven't paid the full period, say if it's a two hour meter and you've only paid for one hour, the grace period doesn't apply. So I just thought I'd let you know that this morning. It's really, uh, <laughs> it, it could be really helpful. But Jesus was elastic in the sense that he was able to balance uh, grace and truth. In uh, the Gospel of John, one of those uh, accounts of Jesus' life, at the very start of that, it talks about how Jesus, the Word, became flesh and lived for a while among us and we saw his glory, uh, the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Troy used that wonderful story of the woman who was taken in adultery, found in the very act of adultery, she's brought to Jesus and um, Jesus actually turns it on the people who are accusers and says, well, you know, whichever of you is without sin, you should cast the first stone. And uh, nobody actually feels free to cast the first stone. And Jesus says to the woman, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. So in a, a remarkable way he was able to balance grace and truth. He reached out to this woman in grace, graciously dealt with her, but he also uh, didn't compromise on the truth. He says to her, go and sin no more. He doesn't minimise her, her, her sinfulness, uh, but he, he is able to reach out to her amazingly in grace. Well, today the word is uh, unfiltered. So we've had elastic and today we've got unfiltered. Now, when you think about filters, there's a whole lot of different filters in our world. I bought a few today just to show you. Uh, I was quite embarrassed actually when I pulled one of my filters out, but those filters on there are filters out of cars and you know cars are quite dear to my heart and uh, for Dave Gunston's benefit, they're out of a Mitsubishi Pajero. Uh, It's the air filter, oil filter and a fuel filter. Now, these are oil filters out of little cars I used to have and I I had them left over in my store and I don't have the cars anymore. But oil filters are very important. They filter... The, uh, the, the bits that wear in your engine out so that they don't actually wear important parts. So oil filters are really important. Other thing that's um, quite useful in your car, not, not, doesn't get changed that often, probably should, is a, a fuel filter and that keeps the fuel running through. So it keeps impurities out of your fuel and it, it keeps it running through. That's that little one on the right, different ty- style of one. Now the next slide shows um, Another sort of filter that we're probably all familiar with and it's called a, a spam filter and you've probably got a box in your email thing that says spam and uh, that's an interesting word spam. If you look up at where it came from, we're going to it today but it's quite interesting. Uh, someone said it says, stands for send phenomenal amounts of mail but it doesn't really. Um, but we need spam filters because we want to get rid of junk that we're not interested in so that we can actually read uh, the meaningful emails that, that we really do want to see. Um, next one shows a, uh, a, a chemistry lab and Dave will be familiar with these sort of things. That is a filter paper. I remember this from year, five, year 11 and 12 chemistry and the, the point of the filter paper was that it would catch a residue in the paper and the other stuff that went through was called a filtrate. Is that right? And it went through to the bottom. So it was dividing stuff that you didn't want or stuff that you wanted to separate out from stuff that went right through. So there are a few filters. Now I have in my... Uh, 
bag here, another filter, and I was quite embarrassed when I, I got this out, but I've got a ducted heating system at home, and that is the clean side of the filter. So what the, what the ducted heating system does, it has a return air duct, and this sits on it, so the air that's been circulated around in the house gets pushed through here, and so that the clean air keeps going through and gets circulated back into your house. Now check out the other side. Whoa! Lucky I haven't used it for a while. But I'll have to clean that before, uh, before this winter. So this has really been doing its job. It's keeping stuff out. And yet when we talk about Jesus this morning, we're talking about him as being unfiltered. So what do you reckon we mean? You see, filters in our world, and you've seen it from all those filters, filters in our world tend to stop or to block unwanted items from going through. And so we mean, when we talk about Jesus, that for Jesus... Some of the things that we choose to block or to remove from our lives because we see them as a nuisance or because they cause us to be inconvenienced, they're not the things that were filtered out by him. And so Jesus' time and attention filters, if you want to call them those, um, are almost the opposite of some of our time and attention filters. Jono interrupted this morning and we don't like interruptions, do we? But Jesus didn't seem to have an issue with interruptions. He didn't have a filter on uh, time. He seemed to be unfazed by people who came uh, across his path unexpected and he didn't have filters at all on people uh, who should have access to him. Now, I just love hearing Keith talk about what he does in the prisons and thank you, Keith. That's uh, incredibly moving for us to hear um, what you do. And and Keith has come to that realisation very strongly that God doesn't have any filters Uh, in terms of his attitude to people who have uh, transgressed to the point where they've ended up in prison. Uh, He sees them as people of infinite value. And so Jesus didn't have filters on people who who had access to him. He wanted everyone to come to him. He said things like, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you're burdened down, come to me. Don't stay away. He says things like when the children are coming to him and his disciples are saying, hey, it's too much. He says, no, let the children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So I want us to look briefly this morning at at perhaps these two particular uh, ideas about Jesus. The fact that he didn't have, uh, seem to have the sort of filters that we have on his time and he didn't have the sort of filters we have on access uh, to him. They're things that are distinctive about him and I believe that they're things that should come to be distinctive or characteristic of people who claim to be the followers of Jesus as well. So first of all, the, um, the do not disturb, I've called it, filter. The do not disturb filter. I've never had a job really where I've had a secretary. I wish I had. But uh, wouldn't it be great to have a secretary who could just say, uh, you say to her, I'll just hold my calls for you, just hold my calls. Never been able to do that. Uh, so I just have to ignore the calls rather than uh, hold them. <laughs> but wouldn't that be great? We think it'd be great, don't we? Because of what John was talking about, interruptions, we don't like them. We would only let the important calls through because oh, my time's really precious and uh, I don't want it to be used up by things that are unimportant. Now, as I was thinking about this, uh, what I was going to say today, on, on Thursday afternoon I was sitting in the office and I was on my own, the door was open and a lady walked in. Now, I knew this lady and I knew she was pretty high maintenance. She wasn't anyone here, that's okay. Um, and I thought, here goes a half an hour. And it wasn't quite a half an hour, but I hope I was polite and friendly and helpful. Um, but it was an interruption and I could have done without it. 
and I have to work hard to say, hey, this is important. I'm the sort of person who gets very focused on the task. So when I'm sitting at my desk, if you come into the office and I'm focused, I might not even look up and acknowledge you. Now, that's not a good thing, but that's just who I am. And there's other people who will acknowledge you usually, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) But if I do that, it's not because I don't love you. It's just because I'm focused on the task. Now, we have this magnificent story in uh, Luke 8 that uh, Zach read for us so well. Thanks, Zach. Where are you? He shot through already? (laughs) But he did well. Uh, And it's the story of Jairus' daughter and a woman who was uh, sick. And and, and the story is is here. A a man named Jairus, he's a leader of the local synagogue and he came and fell at Jesus' feet and he's pleading with Jesus to come home to him. He's got a daughter at home, 12-year-old daughter, and she's sick and he believes she's dying. And uh, there's an urgency about this. He says to Jesus, come, come, if you come, you're the healer, you'll be able to heal my daughter. I reckon he's frantic. He knew his daughter's life was uh, hanging in the balance. And I guess there's this crowd milling around Jesus and he's wondering to himself, why won't people step aside and make way and allow us to get home, allow Jesus to come to my house? Because even minutes in this situation could make a difference. It's a life and death sort of difference. And so you can imagine Jesus with all this crowd inching inching his way with this this desperate man, Jairus, um, to his home. And then all of a sudden there's an interruption. And Jesus stops in the middle of the road. And it says there in verse 43, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no, no cure. And coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe and immediately the bleeding stops. And Jesus stops. And you would think in that milling crowd that someone touching your garment, your clothing, wouldn't make a massive difference to you. But somehow Jesus senses that power has gone out of him and he senses that someone's touched him for a, for a reason and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? You can imagine what the disciples are thinking. They're probably thinking, well, it wasn't me and uh, there's a lot of people here. The crowd's like a sea, you know. How are you going to work out who touched you? Uh, probably a lot of people are bumping into you. They didn't mean it. But Jesus' words have this, this greater meaning. Someone touched me and I know that they touched me for a reason. And so he wants to find out. And finally this woman falls at his feet. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. It hasn't been getting any better. She's uh, in a desperate state. She's probably been isolated from her community because she'd be seen as a person who was, who was uh, unclean, not whole. And her condition was a worsening condition. But touching Jesus had brought the result that she desired. And something had happened to her. And so she, she admits the truth and she, she, the bleeding stops. And I think the next slide thinks Dave. No, we'll get to that in a minute. The bleeding stops and uh, she's healed. And Jesus says, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. And she's freed at that point from her emotional and physical and spiritual suffering. But you can imagine the, this distraught father, Jairus, who's still there. And he hasn't found any freedom. He's just getting more and more tense because this thing is is an interruption. This is stopping the progress of Jesus toward his house. Uh, And then this message comes. While he's still speaking to her, Jesus speaking to the woman, a messenger arrived from the house of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and and he told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she'll be healed. Amazing story. Jesus uh, it still reassures Jairus that even though this daughter 
by all accounts is dead. Well, they get to the house and there's people milling around and, and they're, I guess, weeping and wailing and, and he's dead. And Jesus says, no, hey, don't worry, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they laughed at him because they knew that she was dead. And so he sends everybody away and he goes in and he heals her. It was an interruption and we would have thought that that interruption that uh, stopped Jesus getting to the house um, was a, a crucial one and one that could have been avoided. And yet people were the business of Jesus and he lived for people. They were his purpose and interruptions for him often spelled opportunities to demonstrate and display the great power and love of God the Father. And you know, in the big scheme of things, interruptions never slowed Jesus down, I don't think. They never thwarted his purpose. Actually, interruptions made up a a large part of his life. Um, And I guess if you think about this story, what would represent the greater miracle to the father that his daughter was healed from a sickness sickness, or that his daughter was raised from the dead? Uh, A remarkable little story. The girl lives and Jesus simply continued doing the work that he'd come to do, restoring uh, broken people, healing the sick and bringing glory to his father in whatever way he could. You know, I think about us and my little examples of interruptions and many of us, I think, feel that interruptions get in the way of, of our real life and we have this ideal of what our real life is like and it's an interruption-free life where we do the things that we had planned to do because we're in control of our lives. Uh, and so when the traffic's really heavy, which it is uh, many times, in, uh, especially in Ringwood at the moment, uh, and we miss an appointment, we're late for an appointment, we're frustrated by that. Or when we miss a deadline because something comes up that we hadn't been expected, we get annoyed by that. Or when you know, our kids come down with, uh, sick just when we're about to go on holiday or something like that, that is something that just, it doesn't sort of fit into our plans, does it? You know, C.S. Lewis, who I love, recommended that we should stop regarding all the unpleasant things in our lives as interruptions of our own real life. This is what he says. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending one day by day. What one calls one's real life is a phantom of one's own imagination. So the next time that uh, real life comes crashing into your idea that you're in control of your time and your schedules, maybe it's an opportunity, uh, instead of being frustrated at the presence of other people, um, to look for the opportunity to reflect the love and the compassion of the unfiltered Jesus who heals the hemorrhaging woman with a touch and raises a 12-year-old to life all in the course of his normal day. And so he had a different attitude. That was his uh, do not interrupt Uh, filter. What about his access filter? You see, if you're anything like me, we let certain people in and we keep certain people away. We have uh, filters on who we allow uh, close to us uh, and we we look after ourselves in that way and we're usually pretty careful to regulate those things. And I think uh, I can remember at at primary school, I went to the East Cube Primary School and um, I've called this next filter the us and them filter. East Cube Primary School was in Windella Avenue, East Cube, and on the other side of the road was the uh, St Anne's Catholic Primary School. And I don't know whether it was anything anybody had ever said, but it was like us and them. And 
they, they were the, the Catholic school over there and they were different to us and we didn't have anything to do with it and, and we, didn't, we weren't kind to them as we went home from school. If we saw them, we didn't go too close to them. And this was just another school. Um, but it was us and them and I think you could think of lots of examples of, of your life where there have been times when there's this really distinct sense of us and them. You see, as human beings, we have a, have a real strong inclination to be people who take sides. Um, we tend to divide the, the human race into us uh, versus them. And it can happen for all sorts of reasons. It can happen because of our, our race or our religion or our culture or our language or our, our level of affluence or whatever. Um, but us and them are two very, very powerful words. And yet they seem, didn't seem to be words that existed for Jesus. He seemed to be able to value and love everybody equally. You see, when it comes to us, if someone is in my group, you know, the in-group, I'll tend to talk up their good qualities and uh, I'll be able to overlook their negative qualities. Um, But if they're in the out-group, I'll look for the bad and, and I'll tend to overlook the good. And if someone... As I, as I look at the, the members of my group, I, I see them all as, as individuals of great individual value and worth. Whereas when I look at the, 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 the them group, I, I see them all as one. I, like they're all the same. There's nothing good in any of them. And that's how we tend to be as we, we think about us. And then that might be a bit, a bit uh, extreme, but I think in, in, in many ways those, those things are, are happening. And yet Jesus was the man who took no sides. He wasn't a side taker. You know, there's a, a, a theologian by the name of Miroslav Volf and uh, he, he works at Yale now in the, in the US. But uh, he was a Croatian theologian and he noted that the tendency to take sides and to exclude the other, uh, which religious leaders in Jesus' day often regarded as a virtue, you know, if you take sides and you you're very strong on your side and you exclude the other side, that's virtuous. Um, He saw it and he realised that Jesus regarded it as a great sin and that was often a surprise to Jesus' disciples. And you know, one of the the recurring examples in the the Gospels is the way Jesus treated uh, Samaritans. Now, Samaritans had a history um, of enmity between them and, and the Jewish people and a Jew wouldn't say anything good about a Samaritan. But the Gospels seem to contain a number, an inordinate number of little examples of stories where Jesus paints Samaritans in a really good light, um, which would, been, would have been totally contrary to uh, the, the, the thinking of his time and of his people. Uh, there's a story that um, is really powerful, one where uh, he, he was uh, wanting to stop off at a Samaritan village and the, the people there weren't welcoming and so uh, two of his disciples Say to him, Lord, you know, do you want us to call fire on heaven down on those guys? You know, let's nuke them, let's punish them for not welcoming us. And uh, Jesus says, no, no, no. Um, I think they probably thought Jesus would be pleased with this offer. Let's take revenge. No, we're not going to do that. And so Jesus admonishes his followers and uh, he rebukes them. He protects the Samaritans from uh, that calling down of vengeance on them. Another time he befriended a woman who uh, was a, a Samaritan woman who'd been married five times and the man she was living with now wasn't her, her husband and so she was a, had, a, had a bit of a past and yet Jesus befriends this woman and she goes back and tells people about this Jesus who she's met in a, in a very, very positive light. 
At one stage Jesus heals ten lepers and uh, nine go away without coming, giving thanks at all and one comes back and, and says thank you for being healed and the one who comes back is a Samaritan. It's pointed out that he's a Samaritan. The other story that you'll all know is the story Jesus tells about an Israelite who got mugged on the road and uh, there's a, a Levite and a priest, you know, real good Jewish people and a Samaritan. This one hated by the Jews. They're all part of the story. And Jesus in this story, which you probably know, makes the Samaritan the hero. And so he has this very different filter when it comes to us and them. And because of that story that we've come to know as the good Samaritan, you know, the Samaritan people are long gone and, and not, but not forgotten people because um, of this story. And they're generally remembered with the word good in front of them uh, because Jesus painted them in that sort of light the Jesus who was supposed to be their enemy. You see, this Miroslav Volf, uh, who I've read a little bit about uh, in the last few weeks, he was uh, very interested in the us and them uh, filter. And for him it wasn't simply an academic exercise because he, he was born in, creation, uh, in Croatia and he came of age in uh, communist Yugoslavia and he witnessed the ethnic tensions that existed between the Croats and the Serbs and uh, when communism fell in 1991 there was an incredible amount of cruelty and bloodshed in that place. But in 2001 it just so happens that in New York City when the, the um, World Trade Center centers collapsed, uh, Miroslav Volf at that very time was speaking at the annual prayer breakfast um, of the International Prayer Breakfast of the United Nations and he was speaking about these things, about being reconciled to people who are different to us. And uh, an interviewer asked him about a week later uh, about what he'd spoken about at the prayer breakfast. And uh, I just put on the screen, this is just one quote from his response. He says, There is no imaginable deed that should take a person outside our will to embrace him because there is no imaginable deed that can take a person out of God's will to embrace humanity, which is what I think is inscribed in big letters in the narrative of the cross of Christ. So there's just a couple of thoughts today about Jesus unfiltered. He didn't have the do not disturb filter like we have and he didn't have the us and them filter. He saw all people as being of equal value in, in the eyes of God. The, the band are going to come and, and sing a final song to, for us, uh, lead us in that. But I've, I've just got on the screen three prayers maybe that, that you might to consider praying one or, or two or all of these prayers for yourself today uh, in relation to what we've been talking about and, and these are they. God help me to understand that nothing I've done makes me unfit for your loving touch on my life. Jesus who could touch this woman and heal her um, wants to touch us, wants to heal us, wants to be part of who we are, wants to, to be in our lives. Thank you for always having time for me. Second prayer, God help me to be more open to unexpected interruptions that may actually be appointments you've planned for me. And the third prayer, God help me to see and embrace people as Jesus did, not as us and them, but as people who matter to you. Maybe as the, as the, the song is being sung, you might just want to reflect on those prayers. Pray one or all of them uh, out to God today. May we be people who, like Jesus, are unfiltered in the way we relate to other people.